Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Welcome everybody in Knoxville and uh, checking in and connecting there. Excited about what's going on in the life of our church and just wanted to start with kind of giving you a heads up of this season in the life of our church. Lots of things going on. Uh, but first of all, starting on Mother's Day, uh, we're going to start a new sermon series called The Road to Redemption. And we're going to study the life of Moses. And so for 11 weeks, we're going to uh, look at the book of Exodus and hit the highlights of his life and uh, the life of the Israelites. And so through the summer months and weeks, uh, we're going to be diving into that series. So that's going to be an exciting uh, time. Uh, also, uh, our Knoxville location is very close to getting its certificate of, of occupancy uh, in the movie theater. And so we're excited about that. Don't have a date yet on when they're going to start, but uh, uh, very, very, very soon uh, in the next few weeks. And so we're excited about that uh, in the month of May. Super busy month uh, for everybody, I think. But uh, one of the things we're doing in May is recognizing our uh, high school graduates. And so if you've got a high school senior, uh, there's gonna, we're, we're going to recognize them in a few weeks uh, on Saturday big dinner and then Sunday morning recognize them if you've got a senior you're going to want to get registered for that and participate hope that you will uh, by the way Mother's Day is four weeks away so hey men that's in a four weeks away and so don't be a loser get a good gift for your mom you got four weeks this is your countdown uh, summer uh, Bible studies are getting ready to kick off in the month of May. Our small groups uh, start to take a break and, and then uh, our, our summer groups kick off. And so we've got men's groups, women's groups, lots of different groups for, for you to choose from uh, in the coming days. And so hope that you'll be a part of that. Lots of ways to get connected, lots of ways for you uh, to continue to grow uh, as we move into the summer. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Mark chapter one. We'll be there in just a moment. But um, I'm going to be covering a lot of scripture today, um, but uh, I'll be there in just a little bit. We're going to start a new series today called Keep Your Eye on the Ball. Uh, for me, when I was growing up, um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and so the Cincinnati Reds was my favorite baseball team. Any Reds fans in the house today? Okay, three of you. Awesome. <laughs> Let's talk later. Um, but back then, uh, Pete Rose was the manager of the team. And if you don't know Pete Rose, shame on you, shame on you. Uh, but he was the greatest, uh, and, um, he got kicked out of baseball, long story. But anyway, um, Eric Davis was my favorite, uh, major league player at that time. Uh, Chris Sabo, Barry Larkin. I mean, when you just mention those guys' names, it takes me back to nine-year-old Trent and, you know, the, the big league chew, that bubble gum that you pull out with the pouch, you know, deal. And, and uh, I played baseball. Baseball was huge back then for me. And, and uh, the big red machine with Johnny Bench and Pete Rose, they were so good. And so I grew up going to the games and, and uh, listening to the radio show to and from the games. And, and so I played. And I just remember one of the first lessons I ever learned about playing baseball uh, is probably the same lesson that you were taught by either your coach or, you know, your parent. And it was to keep your eye on the ball. I mean, it's a fundamental lesson in the game of baseball. If you're going to be successful, if you're going to catch the ball, you got to keep your eye on the ball to catch it. If you're going to hit the ball, you got to keep your eye on the ball to actually make content. Now, you 
you may get lucky and close your eyes and swing and, and get a hit every now and then, but if you want to be successful at the game of baseball, you've got to be able to keep your eye on the ball. It's uh, one of the most fundamental uh, lessons that you learn. And, and if you don't keep your eye on the ball, bad things happen. <laughs> you know, you drop the ball, you don't get the out, you strike out. Right? A, a, bad things happen when you don't keep your eye on the ball. And so in this series, I want to help you and really begin to apply this same concept to our Christian faith. Because if you don't know your purpose, you're not going to be successful in life. You'll end up wasting your life. You'll end up focused on things that don't matter. You'll end up chasing things that you think will bring you joy and happiness only to be disappointed. And so when I say keep your eye on the ball, what we're looking at in this series is to keep our eyes on our purpose. And, and that is the purpose that God has for our life. We celebrated the empty tomb last Sunday. Woohoo! Yay! Awesome! Jesus didn't raise from the grave and then say, all right, guys, I'll see you in a while. Peace out. No, he appeared to the disciples over the course of 40 days, many, many times, reinforcing uh, the, the lessons that he was trying to teach them so that they would in turn change the world, which they did. Jesus actually, it reinforces the purpose behind their life. And, 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 and that's what we want to do. We want to return to that purpose. We want to understand that purpose. And, and, and we don't want to be distracted by all the things that are happening around us today and miss the one thing that God wants you to understand in your life to be successful and to honor him with your life. And that is to keep your eye on the ball, which is your purpose. So my question for you today is essentially, what are your eyes on today? What's, what's grabbing your attention? What, what are your eyes on today? And, and let's begin to see how God wants to begin to transition that into another direction. I want to start uh, first in the book of Romans and really begin to kind of think through like what is big picture purpose? Like what is the, 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 the purpose for your life? You know, when we get to this high level, 30,000 foot level, what does God want you to do with your life. And I would say the first thing that we need to grasp and understand is that your purpose starts with God. Like you cannot find your purpose without God. You cannot find contentment in this life without God. You won't discover what you're here for if you don't find God. See, God created you. He chose your parents. He chose what you were going to look like. He chose where you were going to live. Uh, he, he chose what sex you are, whether you're male or female. Right? He gave you the gift sets that, that he wanted to give to you, what you're good at, what you're not good at. That's all a part of God's design and creation in you. And so if you reject the way that God created you, you're essentially rejecting the purpose that God has for you. And so if you reject God, you won't be able to discover your purpose. So, so why are we here? Why did God put us here? And so I would turn to scripture in Romans 11 and start here. And it says, for from him, from God, and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, right? From God, everything was created. And through him and to him, everything was created for him. And so to him be glory forever. A couple more verses, 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the 
glory of God. Whatever you do, whether it's lunch this afternoon or waking up to go to work tomorrow, whatever you do this week, however you do it, we live for the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. We live in such a way that people know and understand that we are following and trusting God. So in turn, they would give glory to the Father, right? So big picture, our, our purpose is to glorify God, the ultimate purpose of your life and of my life is to show the glory of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which was written in the 1640s, so long time ago by some pastors and theologians, and basically what they do is they ask a lot of important questions, same questions that we ask in our day and time, and then they answer it uh, from the Bible. The shorter catechism is actually a great tool to take your kids through. Uh, we used to do that when our kids were little, and um, one of the questions that they asked, the first one is, what is the chief end of man? So what is, what is the purpose of mankind? Essentially, that's the question, and the answer that is given in this confession is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now think about that. The, the purpose of your life, big picture purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I struggled with the enjoy him forever part because I lived uh, my life thinking that if I surrendered to God, if I lived my life for God, that I wouldn't enjoy it. I thought, okay, following God means I've got to be miserable. <laughs> Following God means I'm not going to be able to do all the cool, fun things that I'm doing right now, but whoa, was I wrong. When I found my purpose in God, when I began to glorify God with my life, I realized that apart from God, there was no joy in my life. All of that was just junk that was hurting me. And I realized that was miserable. So this is not just my purpose. This is your purpose. And so we look at this and we think, okay, how do we then glorify God? If this is over and over again, we're told in the Bible to do this, to glorify God, how do we do this? Well, if we go to a statement that Jesus makes, we get a pretty important clue. He's praying to God the Father, and he says, I have brought you glory, God. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave to me. So Jesus is saying that I glorified you, Father, by finishing the work that you gave me the purpose, the work that you gave me. And so for Jesus, it's a little bit different. His work is different than our work, right? His work was to be sent into the world in the form of a man, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, to raise from the grave, proving that he was who he said that he was. And, and, and when we, by faith, accept his death, burial, and resurrection and trust in him to save us, he'll save us, he'll forgive us. We commit our life to him and we begin to understand what it means to have purpose in our life. So, so his work was to do all of that. So, so I, wanna, I wanna get you to start thinking like, what is the work that he's given you to do? What's the work he's given you to do? Are you gonna be able to step back and say, I gave you glory, Father, by finishing the work that you gave me to do? That's the question that we wanna wrestle with, right? So we glorify God by fulfilling this work that he gives to us to do. And in this series, I really wanna to begin to unpack what that might be for you. Big picture and then dial in a little bit further 
for you specifically, right? I want you to keep your eye on the ball. I want you to get your focus where it needs to be. I don't want you to waste your life. I don't want you to waste your time. I don't want you to spin your wheels in this life and continue to feel, you know, emptiness and continue to feel miserable or, or feel like there, there's no uh, a real purpose in fighting for my marriage, you know, or, or, or just giving up in certain areas of your life. I don't want you to be bored with your life. And if you're bored with your life, it's evidence that you're not doing the work that God's given you to do. And so for the next few weeks, we want to dial in on that. And so today I want to look at some really, really important key verses and statements that Jesus makes to help us get our minds in the right vein here. And the first one is what we call the great commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked what all of us have asked. Hey, what's the most important thing that we want or that you need us to do, God? Like in the whole book, what's the most important law? What's the most important thing that we need to do? And so Jesus answers that question and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's essentially saying here that it's not just one. These two things are really the great commandment. And it is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we could simplify it and say, part of how we glorify God is love God and love others. Love God, love others, right? We love God. We glorify him by worshiping him, by loving him, by prioritizing him. And we glorify him by loving other people, loving our neighbor as our self. That's the great commandment. Now, the second statement I wanna read is from Matthew 28, which we call the great commission. Jesus, the last lesson, the very last thing he says before he goes and ascends into heaven after his resurrection, right? This is the last thing that he says to the disciples. And so it's almost like, hey, don't forget this one, right? I'm leaving, remember everything I've taught you, but here's the thing that I'm gonna say last and then I'm out of here, guys. And what is it? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go therefore and make disciples. You see, this is the key phrase here. Followers of Jesus make disciples. Followers of Jesus make disciples. It's not just Pastors who make disciples or people who don't have a, a sketchy past make disciples. It, it's not people who have it all figured out that make disciples. It's followers of Jesus make disciples. And he says, go. Like, where are we going to go? And at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. But wherever you end up going, make disciples. If you go overseas, make disciples. If you go to Knoxville, make disciples. If you go to Maryville or Alcoa, make disciples. Disciples, wherever you go, as you go to the ballpark, to the gym, to the you know, work environment, as you are living your life, make disciples. We complicate it. And we make it like this one hour a week on Sunday morning or some program that we have to attend. And it's like, no, if you will live your life in such a way that you are salt and light, and that you will, you will understand that you are making disciples when you are praying with someone at work, when you're encouraging someone, when you're giving hope to someone, when you're sharing the gospel with someone. These are moments that you are making disciples. For us, as followers of Jesus, it is impossible for us not to talk about Jesus. 
It's impossible. It's why we need to partner together because we need each other. As a man, uh, part of my role is to lead my family spiritually. And so I want to disciple my wife and kids, but um, my wife needs you guys. Your wife needs all the other ladies in the room. Um, my, my kids are my responsibility, but I need you guys investing in them. Just like you need me investing in your kids. Like we need each other. This is how God created the church to partner together. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus who are in darkness in the community today. I, don't, I can't reach them by myself. You can't reach them by yourself, but we partner together. We use the resources and talents that we have together in order to connect the gospel with them. Followers of Jesus make disciples. We partner together to do this. And so keeping your eye on the ball essentially means for the sake of this sermon series, the great commandment to love God, to love others by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. That's what our focus has to be. That's what we got to keep our eye on as a church, as individuals, right? Where are your eyes at today? Where are your eyes at today? Um, our vision statement, you've heard us share this several times, but we exist as a church to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. For 14 years, this has been our vision. For 14 years, making disciples has been our heartbeat. For 14 years, this is all that we think about and all that we try to come back to. We try to keep our programming and our schedule simple and, and not overpacked, like to keep things busy. We're like, get in a small group, serve in some capacity, develop leaders, right? Make disciples. And, and this has been the heartbeat as we talk about our journey process and what that looks like and helping people grow in their faith and understand their purpose in life. Making disciples in relational environments. We just celebrated our 14th birthday, by the way, this past week. I hope you saw that on social media. But yeah, thank God for all the work he's done here. We love God. We love people. We share the truth of the gospel People come to faith, we help them grow in that faith. That is God's mission for our church. And so when we keep our eye on the ball, it means that we are leading people to Christ. We're helping them grow in their faith. And, and the goal is that they would be mature. And maturity is to become a fruit-bearing disciple, somebody that is actually bearing fruit in their life, someone who has actually grown into maturity and, and able to do that. God isn't just calling you to get baptized. He wants you to grow. He's not just asking you to attend. He wants you to engage this vision and mission that he's given to us. The problem is too many Christians have their eyes on something else, not the ball. Y'all are wearing hats today. I don't think that's appropriate. If you thought that, I'm talking to you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say not to wear a hat. Nowhere in the Bible does it say when you pray, you got to take your hat off. You know who says that? American culture. You know what's happened in the life of the church? American culture in Christianity has not just intersected, but in many ways, American culture has overshadowed the gospel to where we've got a bunch of rules and a bunch of standards and a bunch of things that we're supposed to say and do that are not biblical, they're American culture. And we have to realize 
that God is not the foundation of our faith. God is not calling us to uphold America. He's calling us to uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to love and to, and to pour our heart and life into. And in so many ways, this, this idea of American culture and comfort has invaded the church to where we're more concerned about all the different fights that are happening, happening in our world and less about what God has called us to actually do. We're distracted by comfort. We're upset about our culture. We're busy and, and we don't have time to talk to Jesus personally. We don't have time to serve or for small groups. And, and, and the problem I think is that culture is drastically changing around us. And we still as Christians have a bunch of fights about stupid things. Can't wear hats. Can't do this, can't do that. You said it this way, should have said it this way. And meanwhile, we've got this massive um, fight going on in our culture, this gay and trans movement that is shaping our next generation and changing things in such a way that, that our heads are beginning to spin. And we need more and better strategies to engage this world with the gospel. We need more kids. We need more teenagers. We need, we need more adults who are boldly and unashamedly talking about their faith. We, yeah. Sadly, we had six Christians murdered in a school just a couple of weeks ago. And that wasn't the headlines, was it? That wasn't the headlines in our culture. You see, the, the, the persecution and the hate towards Christianity is at a level that we haven't experienced yet. And it probably is just gonna increase. And so when I say we have to get better as a church, we've gotta get prepared and better and stronger. Some of you, you know, I don't know the Bible. Well, freaking learn, man. <laughs> Put in the work and learn. We have all these excuses and we have all these things that, man, I, I, I've got this past. I, listen, we all do. But as a church, and I'm not just saying our church, like church in general, we've got to get our butts in gear because we are missing this generation. We are not fighting against gay people or the trans community or woke politics. We are fighting against Satan himself. Our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against the dark spiritual forces of this age. And the tragedy is not woke politics. The tragedy is that Christians don't have the boldness to share Jesus with their friends. You're afraid. And we're missing the purpose that God has for us. We've got to develop leaders and, 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 and we've got to develop young people in order to have a boldness about them. We've got to be able to articulate our convictions better. We're bad at that. We're bad at it. We're afraid, we're sissies, we're afraid we're going to get canceled. We don't, we don't have confidence in, in, in the gospel. We don't have confidence in what we know. 
and we just sit on our hands and, and moan and complain. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is, is to stop it. <laughs> stop it. Get across the table from a young person and pour your heart into them and say, this is who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life. I, I, I want older couples to take younger couples out to dinner and pay for it because they're broke. And, <laughs> and tell them why it is important to fight for their marriage and show them pictures of your grandkids and say, you don't have these yet, but these are better than your own kids. <laughs> this is what we're fighting for, right? No, seriously, I, I, we've got to get across the table from people and we've got to start having conversations. Well, what do we want to do? Do we want to, I, I hear it all the time, we got to do something, man. And if you got ideas, I'm open, but, but like when I hear that, I'm, I'm hearing people say like, we got to march, man. Let's just go march. And I'm like, <laughs> marching is not there. That's American culture. We got to protest. And I'm like, I don't know. Okay. Well, what do we want to do? Do you want to loot? <laughs> you want to riot? What do Jesus says to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Keep your eye on the ball. He's not calling you to save the world. But together, as a church, you can impact one person this week, maybe two. Some of you are in a place of leadership, and there are a lot of people under you. And your influence, whew, you've got a megaphone into their life, right? So how are you equipped and developed in such a way that you could impact the sphere of influence that God has given to you to fulfill the purpose and the work that God has called you to, to accomplish. You see, your job is not really your job. You know, my job is, is to lead this church and to preach, but that's not really ultimately my job. My job is to equip the saints so when I sit across the table from somebody with a cup of coffee and I'm pouring into them, I'm thinking that's, that's what I'm called to do, right? This is a piece of it. And a piece of it is, is your job and your work. A piece of it is you've got you've to make payroll, <laughs> right? You, you've got a job to do, right? You've got to win whatever winning is in your job and in your company or whatever classroom you find yourself in, that's, that's part of it, but that's not the ultimate goal. Having a comfortable life is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to glorify the God who made us. And how best to do that is to love him and to love others by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's where you're gonna find hope and love and that's where you're going to find purpose and meaning in this life. Uh, the last lesson that Jesus teaches is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. The first lesson he ever taught was exactly the same thing. He just said it differently. And Mark, if you got your Bible, you can turn there. Mark chapter 1. This is the calling of the first disciples. The first calling of the disciples and the first lesson he teaches them matches the last message and lesson he teaches. I love it. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were 
fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. They were fishermen too. And immediately called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And they followed him. Jesus is saying, follow me, guys that fish, fishermen, and I will make you a fisher of men. Essentially, the first lesson he teaches is followers of Jesus fish with Jesus. Followers of Jesus fish, right? And, and, and so that's the, really the great commission, go and make disciples. But just like the disciples in that moment, they don't have a clue what he mean by that, what, what he meant by that. Can you imagine Mark as he's leaving and John as he's leaving, you know, the boats? He's like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay. Well, what the heck does that mean? I don't know. Let's just go, right? I, I, I didn't follow Jesus, um, moment of honesty, because I wanted to become a fisher of men. Chances are you didn't either. You were lost, you were broken, you were hopeless. The Spirit of God called you and you committed your life to Jesus because you didn't want to go to hell. You knew you wanted forgiveness and you knew Jesus was the way. You weren't saying yes to Jesus and, and committing your life to him and getting baptized because you understood what becoming a fisher of men was. No, that's why he says you will become, I will make you a fisher of men. He's developing us and making us and turning us into fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me and I will make you more spiritual. He doesn't say, follow me and I will make you rich. I'll make you successful. I'll make you holier. He says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. What are your eyes on today? We got to get our eye on the ball. This is what Jesus is calling us to do, right? Followers of Jesus fish with Jesus. We, we know this is a process of growing and learning. The, the first disciples, they didn't get it. They messed up a hundred different times. They, 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 they fumbled, they mumbled, they didn't understand everything. And so they struggled, but at some point they get to this point to where they get it and they transform the culture and world that they were a part of at that time. The first lesson that Jesus gives is followers of Jesus fish. The last message that he gives before he goes to heaven is go and make disciples. Now flip over to Acts chapter one. We're going to see this account, which is the same essential lesson, just said a different way in Acts chapter one. We're going to look at one verse here, verse eight. He says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So again, this is the call. This is the purpose of our life to be a witness for Jesus in Jerusalem. That is in, 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 in where I'm at here at Maribel, that is Maribel Alcoa. That's our Jerusalem, right? Knoxville, Knoxville is your Jerusalem. A little bit extended region, right? Judea would be East Tennessee, right? And then the uttermost parts of the world extending. And so how are we witnesses in each one of our areas where we live, the region we live, and in the world around us? This is the calling that he has placed on our life. You will be my witnesses. A witness is simply someone who gives testimony to the things that they have experienced. They give testimony to the things that they've experienced. 
A witness gives testimony through words and actions, both words and actions. And so you aren't a witness. You are not a witness if you, in fact, don't talk about it. And you're not a witness if you don't uh, act on what you have seen. It's very clear. A lot of early Christians died because of this message, because they were a witness to what they had seen and heard, and they shared that message. And so they were murdered. They were called martyrs for their faith in Jesus. What's interesting is that the Greek word for martyr is literally, literally means witness. So they were literally a witness and they were murdered. They were martyred for that witness. And so we look at their faith and we say, man, that is whoo, next level faith. And then we look around Christians in 2023. And all I have to say is we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. But we have to get ready and we have to get prepared if we're going to make any change and any difference in this world. Because we're headed in the wrong direction. I think you would all agree with that. We've got to get better. We can't put our head in the sand we can't just move into the country and, and, and you know, isolate ourselves on our homestead. <laughs> like we can't get in the Mayflower and go across another ocean. Like this is it. You can move from California to this area, but you ain't getting away from the problems. So if you did that, we got the same problems you have. You're just a few years in front of us. Maybe God sent you here to help us not get there. Amen. I'm glad you're here. Do something. <laughs> If Bud Light drinkers, <laughs> listen to me, if Bud Light drinkers can effectively boycott a beer and cause $5 billion worth of loss in two weeks, why can't 200 million Christians across America make a dent anywhere else? Unless we're all Bud Light drinkers. I don't know. <laughs> and we did it. I don't know. That's not the point. The point is, we haven't made any changes because we are comfortable. We are good at complaining, but comfort and entertainment are our God. And entertaining our kids has become a God to keep them under control. And what we like to watch and what we like to do has become our God. And our other God has just become complaining about everything. And when we read the New Testament, we don't see evidence of any of that taking place. We see a lot of prayer. We see a lot of worship. We see a lot of ministry. We see a lot of church planting. We see a lot of sharing of the gospel one-on-one. -on -one church members to, to lost people in the community, right? We see that happening all throughout the book of Acts. And, 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 and folks, we've got to change. So I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this series, maybe encourage some of you that are doing well. And for the rest of us, picture me in your face just shaking you by the shoulder. You got more work to do. You can do more than what you're giving yourself credit for and what you're accomplishing. This is what God has called us to. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus made a promise that we cannot forget. The promise is this. He tells Peter, you, you are Peter, and on this rock, he, he's saying, I'm the rock here. I will build my, say it with me, church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the word church there is a very religious word to us, but at this time, the word church was a Greek word called ekklesia, and it simply meant the called out people, the called out ones. So church is not four walls. It's not a building. It's not an auditorium. It's not a program. Church is referencing in the Bible a group of people, a group of people that partner together. You and I right here now in Knoxville, partnering together, right? to impact the community that we live in. And so he's calling us the called out ones to a work to glorify God by loving others and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not perfect, we are frail, we will mess up, but we are purchased by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, powerfully manifesting the work that God wants to do in and through us. That's what we get, we get the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not calling us to just protect us for no more. He's saying the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. You know, gates are meant to keep people out, right? Gates are to prevent people from coming in. And so what he's telling us to do, he is saying that he's going to build his people And and the gates of hell are not going to prevent us from crushing that gate down and robbing hell of the lost sons and daughters of God and rescuing them from the darkness and bringing them into the light, his glorious light through his power and his strength. He's calling you to be a gate crusher. Think about that. Now, how do we crush gates? You crush gates when you pray with an unbeliever this week. You're you're crushing the gates when you're responding like Jesus when someone mistreats you. You're crushing the gates when you're boldly sharing the gospel. You're crushing the gates when you're providing encouragement for for a young single mom. You're crushing the gates when you're helping free victims of sex trafficking. You're, You're crushing the gates of hell when you're loving the world's forgotten. When you're looking at a young man who doesn't have a father or who has no direction or purpose in life and is running to girls or who's who's, who's running to drugs for happiness and you look at him in the eyes and you say, God has more for you. You're crushing the gates of hell. And that's what you're called to do, men. Women, you are called to be a gate crusher. Have you ever been on a cruise? Several years ago, my wife and I went on a cruise with some friends and my first one. We woke up in the morning on our first day and we went to breakfast. And what a glorious spread it was. I'm talking everything you wanted, pancakes, waffles. They had an omelet station, juice, bacon. They had it all and I crushed it. It was great. And I go from that, woke up, breakfast, ate so much, I needed to take a nap. So we go back to our room, we take a nap. 
Wake up from the nap, realize it's lunchtime. <laughs> Let's go back to the buffet. <laughs> the pizza, the hamburgers, the french fries, and I'm just killing it, just crushing it. Ate so much, couldn't hardly move, had to go sit by the pool. Had to take a rest, I was so tired, worn out. Took a little nap in the sun, glorious. Woke up from that nap and realized I better go take a shower because it's almost dinner time. <laughs> go back to dinner, steak, chicken, huge spread, great food. And we did this day in and day out for a week. And as great as it sounded on day one, by the end of the week, I was sick of food and I was bored out of my mind. I've never been back on a cruise ship since. <laughs> it might be your thing, I don't know. But for me, I just got bored and I was tired of the same kind of monotonous deal. What I see a lot in church is I see a lot, of, a lot of people on a cruise ship diet. Come feed me, pastor. I wanna be fed by the word of God. You know, it's like, oh man, I wanna hear the word, wanna be taught, wanna be challenged, like it, right? I want a good Sunday school class, you know, or a small group if you're here, you know, and connected at FC. We want to be fed. And, and you, might, you might be a Christian for 5, 10, 20 years in church your whole life, and you're just fed, man. You're just fed and fed and fed. And, 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 and you know what happens when all you do is eat and you don't exercise? You don't burn that off. You don't use what you're intaking on a daily consistent basis. You get bored. There's no purpose. Your kids get raised in that environment where dad is bored and we just go to church because it's the right thing to do. And your kids walk away from church and, and faith because they didn't see purpose. There's a lot of young guys in here in the room. A lot of college men in the room. You, you know what this world is telling you? Look at porn, go make a lot of money, have sex with a lot of women, and that's where you're gonna find happiness. But listen to me and write this down. That will end in ruin for your life. Marijuana, porn will kill your brain, suck the life out of you. Video games will, will ruin the success that God wants to give to you because you were not made to just sit behind a screen and pleasure yourself. You were made to change this world. And until you embrace the purpose and calling that God has for your life, you'll be miserable. No woman will satisfy you and no job will come close to giving you the hope that only Jesus can give you. We're satisfied with the cruise ship diet and it's made us a overweight and weak church. I'm not saying Foothills Church, I'm just saying church in general. And when we look at this culture and we look at the change that is necessary and required, we are gonna have to change our strategies and you're gonna have to get tougher and stronger and bolder, plain and simple, plain and simple. And I think you're up for the challenge. I think there's more in you. I think you can do it. You're gonna have to overcome your fear. 
your fear of getting canceled, your fear of people talking bad about you, your fear of maybe losing your job, I don't know. But we have to be prepared for whatever is on the other side of the faithfulness that God is calling you to today. I was at a wedding yesterday, and I'll close with this. And um, this, the guy that was getting married was a guy I've known since he was a little kid. And um, he was at the church that I was at when I was a student pastor. And so a lot of his friends were students that were in my student ministry several years ago. So I was connecting with them again. It was great just to kind of get to see where they were at and what they're doing now. And they're all old, made me feel really old. And, and um, this one guy, I was like, hey, man, how's it going? How's life? And he was like, well, you know, got married and got some kids, got a house just recently. And we even got a dog. I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, I guess checking all the boxes. I thought, yes, men, find a woman and love her. Be fruitful and multiply with that woman, right? Cultivate a family, part of your calling. But those are not just boxes to check. That is a bigger calling that God has on your life as a leader. We're not just called to check boxes. We're called to be the salt and light of this community and world. And, and, and God hasn't just given us the great suggestion to go do this. He's given us the great commandment and the great commission to go do that. He's invited you to do that. that that's why we have base camp and camp two and leadership summits here, camp three here at FC. This is part of our strategy to help you understand your purpose and to grow and to be more effective at work, to be a better leader at work, um, our, one of our summer Bible studies is, is a class I'm going to lead to really help you um, articulate your convictions in a hostile world. We're going to talk about that and go through a study that I hope you'll be a part of. But maybe you need to give your life to Jesus today. Maybe you just needed to be encouraged today, whatever it is. If you want somebody to pray with you or make a decision, we want to encourage you to go to the care and prayer room today where our volunteers will help you. But let me close in prayer. After hearing this today, I pray that God would stir our hearts and get our minds get our eyes on the ball. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And God, you have some leaders and some Christians in this room right now, young and old. You've already given influence to. God, would you anoint them with your boldness and power to influence for the gospel? Lord, for those that may not have that influence, would you give that to them? Lord, I pray that some of our young people here today would recognize that they are the greatest missionaries in the room because they live and, and breathe on a campus where there is a lot of lostness and where there is a lot of darkness. God, would you inspire them with the gospel to, 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 to bring change in their friends and community? Lord, you've blessed this church. You've blessed us with people and leaders. God, we can do more, and that's what we want to be about. So in this series and in the coming days, make us fishers of men. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.